it's time to raise the roof as the offseason is here. Kevin Cash just got named manager of the year in the AL, and we have a special guest on. Uh, so, yeah, welcome to our first official offseason episode. I know last episode kind of wasn't an offseason episode, but it was, it's regardless of the point. Uh, like I said, we do have a special guest on. Uh, tonight was the AL or the manager, MLB manager of the year awards thing. So we are going to get into the fact that Kevin Cash won and also Citrus Series win. So Don Mattingly in the NL also won because, I mean, it wouldn't make sense any other way to have the guy who literally took the Marlins to the playoffs. Like, I mean, if you're going to take the Marlins to the playoffs, especially with all that they had, you 100% deserved it. But first, let's introduce our special guest. So, John, uh, please introduce yourself to the people, what you do, uh, all of that good stuff. Hey guys, happy to have happy to be on with you guys. Uh, yeah, so I have been doing sports broadcasting for the past five years since um, I graduated Maryland, which I know we've got a couple terps on this podcast as well. Um, but I've spent four years now with the Charlotte Stone Crabs, which is the uh, high A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays. I guess I could start to say was the high affiliate of the Rays because it seems like that's going to be changing. It sounds like they're going to be the low A affiliate of the Rays, but I'll take it because the whole minor league. Uh, landscape is about to change in the next few weeks so uh, I'll take any baseball I can get but uh, yeah I've been doing minor league baseball now for five years I did a year in the Cubs organization um, and covered Maryland athletics while I was in school and do a lot of other sports broadcasting on the side some college basketball on ESPN plus um, and a lot of like PA announcing and little freelance gigs here and there so a lot of play-by-play a lot of sports and uh, obviously it's been a weird year for the industry, but I'm excited for the future because it's a lot better than the last six months. Mm-hmm. And and more importantly, on top of that, you're also kind of one of the MCs. Uh, I guess when I saw you there, um, you're uh, when the race have their spring training. Obviously, they have their spring training down in Port Charlotte. You're one of the MCs for what goes on in between innings for games uh, while the Rays are um, having spring training games and practicing and all of that stuff down at those facilities at Charlotte Sports Park. Yeah, because I'm based out of the race spring training complex. Um, so during the regular season, I travel with the minor league team and do their radio broadcasting. But in spring training, uh, it's really fun. We get to cross train and do a lot of different things. So I actually freelance with the major league team throughout spring training. So uh, my first couple of years, I was the on-field MC. This past year, I got to do some PA announcing uh, and more MCing and a little bit of play-by-play on the Rays radio network. So it was a really awesome spring training until COVID cut it short. But uh, the three weeks we did get were, were fantastic. All right. Well, first off, uh, as a group, um, so obviously Kevin Cash won manager of the year. Um, I wanted to get both of your thoughts about it. I mean, was there really any other choice than Kevin Cash in this, um, Def- in this, in this race? In the, definitely not in the AL. Um, I just – no one really came close. Maybe, like, I think Dusty had a good, like – bounce back you know he's a first year manager of the Astros after kind of like that whole scandal thing he's got to like carry that load but Dusty not nearly um I don't think nearly deserved it as much as Cash did so I think it's a good choice overall definitely I I thought that Mattingly was a pretty clear winner in the NL I think anyone else if anyone else got it he would have gotten snubbed but the AL to me was wide open I'm not as convinced that you know Cash was the obvious choice it's certainly not a bad choice. He won two-thirds of his games. Um, but people knew the Rays were going to be good coming in. The way I look at manager of the year is who exceeded the expectations by the most games. And I think a lot of people had the Rays as a 600 winning percentage team. Mm-hmm. So for him to go 40 and 20 is just living up to the expectations, not necessarily exceeding them. 
So you could make the case for some other guys, but there was no slam dunk candidate to put in ahead of cash. Okay. Yeah, I, I did want to say I think it's hilarious of what happened with Rick Renneria, considering what's currently going on uh, with the White Sox manager situation. Um, for those that don't know, Tony, uh, I don't know how recent it was, but he just got his second DUI. And in the transcript of him talking uh, with whomever it was, I think uh, the police officer, he basically said that he was like a Hall of Famer and that, yeah. you know, like, like he should be respected for that reason. So clearly the White Sox made a great hire uh, in that position. Uh, but yeah, so Renneria got second place. Um, and I don't know who was, who the heck was the third person? in that race was it was it was it dusty or no oh wait no i have it right here oh charlie montoyo from the blue jays that i i actually i mean former former ray uh former Rays guy um i i mean i would have been like i personally wanted cash but um i mean montoyo definitely exceeded the expectations of a lot of people with what the blue jays did i can respect that yeah i i think yeah, that's not a. Uh, he definitely deserved to be nominated. There just was no obvious choice, I think, in the AL. I think there were a few choice, a few good choices in the NL. So I think Cash kind of won by default because Rick Renneria wasn't wouldn't have been a bad choice. Um, but I think that the amount of talent that was there, the way they finished, was not a huge surprise either. So, I mean, Cash definitely is a worthy winner, and there's no one else that really jumps off the page. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so John, because this is the first time we're having you on this podcast, obviously the season is now done. Uh, you've experienced, or you've watched the highs and the lows and experienced everything that, that went on with the race 2020 season from your perspective, what did you think about what happened, um, throughout the regular season? And then obviously the run that they made to the world series in the postseason. Yeah. Well, obviously the, the COVID's the story for every team in 2020, uh, the, the spring training was an experience. I got to be there firsthand for each day of it. Um, and that was just sheer shock that the season was being stopped. But once we got going, I mean, I was hoping to get more than 60 games, but the way things were going in June with the negotiations, you'll take what you can get. Um, I think, I think a lot of people gave the Rays a ton of respect. I don't think they were overlooked at all going into the season. Um, and they did about what most people expected, maybe a couple games better. I think most people would have had them maybe 36, 37 wins. They ended up with 40. Um, I, I think everybody had them as a playoff team, especially once they expanded the playoffs. So obviously their postseason run was a little more surprising. They got to play a sub 500 team in the, in the championship series. So, you know, they were the better team there, even though the Astros were obviously red hot at the time. The Yankee series was unbelievable. I mean, that's what, that's what you live for if you're a baseball player. Um, but the way the regular season unfolded didn't surprise me at all. It was nice to see them overcome all those pitching injuries because they had they had they lost a lot of guys. They lost five really solid arms and came out on the other side pretty pretty strong uh, at the end of the day. So obviously it was a great season, and I don't think there's any reason they can't uh, continue that success next year and beyond. So let's talk more about the postseason. Obviously, so um, I mean I, I think the Blue Jays series kind of went as we all expected. Uh, the Yankees series, I mean, definitely that was the way that that ended. The crescendo of that was amazing. The almost near heartbreak in the ALCS and then uh, what ended up transpiring in the World Series. As the postseason went on for you, where did you see this team ending up? And I guess I guess on top of that, uh, what did you think was going to carry them? And did you think it was going to be Randy Rosarena on the offensive side? Would have never guessed a Rosarena. <laughs> I don't think many people would have. Um, I was definitely concerned about the hitting going into the postseason. I thought the pitching would be fine. 
I kind of expected Blake Snell to step up and be the ace. Uh, but I was concerned about the hitting, and it was a really big concern. I mean, they were squeaking out wins. I think they got very lucky early against the Astros, first two or three games. It seemed like every ball the Astros hit was right out of glove, and that's the reason mm -hmm. the Rays went up 3-0. It could have very easily been different, and they would have lost that series if it had been different. Um, so the defense was a really nice surprise. It did win them some games. The pitching was just as good as I expected, and the hitting was just as shaky as I kind of expected. I mean, you would like it to be a little bit better, uh, but you're when you're in the playoffs, you're going to be facing the best pitching staffs in the sport. Um, so I was very – so like you said, I agreed. They were heavy favorites against the Blue Jays. No surprise there. But I was very concerned going into the Yankees series. I was less concerned going into the Astros series. Um, but the, I was – obviously they had a lot of mojo going on the AL side of things. Once they got matched up with the Dodgers, you kind of felt like anything was possible. Uh, but once you get onto game one, game two against LA, you realize how good they are. You realize what a tall mountain it is to climb to win that series. I mean, but they were right there. They lost four games to two, and they lost a couple really close games. So it was a competitive series. And if you're the Rays, there's not a whole lot you could have done better other than that decision in game six. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted to talk more specifically about those two elimination games in the DS and the CS, talking about game five and game seven. Uh, after what had happened in the previous game, so it would have been game four in the Yankee series and game six in the Astros series, what was your feeling like, or, or what was you, like, like, how did you feel going into both of those games? Was it like, was it extremely nervous to the point of like, you thought that the series was over for them in a bad way or like how much confidence did, did you have in the team? Going into both those games, I thought they were both coin flip games. Uh, I, I've been in baseball long enough to know that, there's no reason to get too nervous or no reason to get too confident. Um, as, as much as momentum as you feel as a fan, it doesn't really feel that way on the field. When the players take the field, it's just another ball game. The day before doesn't matter. Um, so going into game five and game seven, I just based on the matchups, I thought it was about a coin flip in both cases. Um, I was worried about the Yankees bullpen putting a, a lead away for them. And obviously um, Brasso saved us all. And then in, in game seven, they got out to a nice lead. The Rosarena homer really set the tone. So I, I wasn't overly confident, but I definitely wasn't worried going into either one of those games. For those types of games, you just have to buckle up and see what happens. Mm. And then talking about the World Series, so you have a very interesting perspective of this because you got to go to game six. So you were there in Arlington at Globe Life Field um, to watch everything that transpired, good and bad. Two things before we get into really off-season talk. A, how nice is it? Because I know that, I mean, I guess from the outside, there was all the memes of people comparing it to like a grill cover and Costco and all that stuff. And B, how was it like being at that game and watching everything transpire? Uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I was a little skeptical going in on, on the atmosphere because it was, you know, 20% capacity. But it really – I went to the World Series in 2015, and it felt the same. It felt like a big event. Um, the stadium – the only odd thing was going in and out before and after the game. There wasn't, like, massive crowds of people coming in and out of the stadium. So it didn't, it didn't feel like the World Series outside of the stadium. But inside the stadium, it definitely did. It had all the bells and whistles. Um, the fans were fired up. You know, when you have 15,000 fans, it, it sounds a lot louder than that when it's a World Series game because everybody's hyped up. Um, so there was definitely an atmosphere, definitely some crowd noise. And I really liked the stadium. I was a little skeptical going in. It didn't look that great on TV. 
Um, but once I was in there, I was really impressed. I've probably been to almost half the MLB stadiums and it was definitely up there as one of my favorites. They did a really good job angling all the seats, especially in the corner. The retractable roof is obviously a great feature because the night I was there, it was 38 and freezing rain outside. So for it to be 70 inside was great. Um, and the site, yeah, like I said, the sight lines, the way they did the different levels is really, was really well done. And there was a lot of cool open areas out on the concourse where you had a view of the field. So I, it, it didn't really remind me of any park in particular. It was pretty unique. Mm -hmm. And then, and then with the game itself, um, <laughs> how did you feel about uh, what transpired since I know that there was a very controversial decision that happened in the sixth inning? Yeah, it was a competitive game. It was a well-pitched, well-played game. Uh, I thought the decision was absolutely horrendous and, you know, just something that Kevin Cash is going to have to wear for the rest of his life. I think a lot of players, I don't think their opinions change. I, don't, I think, I mean, Kiermaier voiced his displeasure. Uh, I was impressed how much they backed up Cash overall after the game. A few of them admitted that they didn't like the move. Um, but, I mean, that was, a, that was a choke job of epic proportions by the Rays manager. Uh, I don't care how analytically minded you are, just a terrible move. Mm. All right. So with that being said, let's talk about the offseason. So this is for both of you. So I know that we kind of got a little bit into in the last episode talking about free agency stuff. But um, what are the keys uh, to this offseason for the Rays, uh, free agency wise trades, uh, anything like that? Gibby, uh, what do you think is is kind of what or what do you think this team is going to do? Um, I think it's actually a great opportunity for the Rays to pick up some some cheap cheap batters you know because these contracts they're all going down um mlb's making less money some guys are just going to get paid way less than they normally would so i think it's a good opportunity for them to make some moves and uh try to get some maybe some better bets I, i'm not sure i'm not sure how the free agent market market's really looking right now so it, it's really a it's really a coin toss we just know that it's guys are going to be way cheaper than they normally are so Typically, that's a good sign for the Rays. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's going to help the Rays a ton. It sounds like there's going to be maybe five teams willing to spend normal money, and the other 20 to 25 are going to nickel and dime it and kind of piece it together with some minor league offers and um, just kind of roll with what they have. Um, one thing I've read a lot amongst some of the top national writers is teams are going to wait. They're going to wait till at least January to make any big moves um, because they want to see where the virus is. Um, and to try and it, it's hard to budget a season when you don't know if you're going to have fans or not. Mm. Um, and obviously the amount, I, I would assume most teams will have some fans next year, but obviously you're not going to make a huge profit off 10 or 20% capacity. They need more than that. Um, so it's just hard for teams to budget. It's hard for teams to um, justify dropping a lot of money on a player that they may or may not need. So I think that helps the Rays a lot. I think the Rays need a, they need some thump. I think they need a Nelson Cruz type would be ideal. The problem is, I guess he's a free agent. It's a pretty good free agent class. There's some really good players out there. That The type of guy they can afford, I mean, the it would be the top of the pay scale for the Rays, but they might be able to get him for two for 20 would be like a Michael Brantley. Um, I know the Rays have plenty of uh, athleticism in the outfield already, but, I mean, what team can't use Michael Brantley? He's a perennial 320 hitter, um, so I would love that. But Nelson Cruz is probably a, a, more of like a one-year kind of – one-year, eight million kind of guy that the Rays missed out on a couple years ago, the Twins snatched up. Um, I think he would fit very well. At that point, you'd probably have to get rid of Sutsugo or Nate Lowe just because they do have some trade value to other teams. Um, but I think they need they need a power bat, and, they, and probably from the right side. 
They opened up, obviously, a couple holes with getting rid of all three of their catchers. Um, so I'm sure they'll sign at least one catcher to a major league deal and then probably a couple others to a minor league deal. So that's not something they're going to throw a lot of money at, but they're going to obviously have to get at least one guy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I agree with both of you on that. I think that there's a lot of interesting moves that they can make, but it, especially with the catcher part of it, it makes me really think about the fact that they didn't want to spend on Darno last year and just because I know he was two years, 16. So how much is that like, especially with catchers, the fact that they didn't resign him is like, how much is that going or both of you, how much is that going to really hurt them moving forward? I mean, it, we already, sh- it, it already showed this year that, um, you know, having the guys that they had behind the plate, it wasn't, it wasn't the same thing as what they had at the uh, back half of 2019 or yeah. Yeah. Back half of 2019. Um, I think it, I think it definitely showed in the World Series. I mean, if you had Darno, who was just at the end of the 20, 2019 regular season and into some of the postseason, was just hitting like tremendously well. Um, and he did it on with the Braves this year. So mm-hmm. I mean, you can see that, like, you know, Mike Zanino, he did pretty good, but having Travis Darno in there might have helped us way more in this series. Just having that extra power bat. Um, yeah. I, I don't think it hurt the Rays too bad. Obviously, they could have – I mean, Darno would have obviously helped. But I just – they never – the Rays never get offense from the catching position. They don't really strive to get offense from the catching position. It would be nice if they did. Um, yeah, but they, yeah. I just feel like over the years, they always value glove first. Um, it's obviously a cheaper option. Uh, Zanino definitely did not hit well. Uh, Michael Perez didn't hit as well as he's capable of either. Um, but I mean, they were, I feel like they were used to getting poor offensive production from the position all season long. There was no different in the playoffs. They, I mean, they did get a couple of big homers from Zanino, Mm -hmm. uh, in the earlier rounds, but, um, I mean, it would have helped, but I don't think it was something that was like a a glaring, uh, need during the playoffs. Okay. Uh, so I'm trying to think from here, I, I guess the best place to go from here would be talking about the minors. So obviously John, you have a lot of. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of experience with minor league teams and we talked about it pre-podcast there's a lot of shaking up that's going on and you mentioned it at the beginning there's, there's a lot of shake up that's going on uh within the minor leagues can you go into more detail for those that don't know what the plan is for major league baseball what they're trying to do uh with minor league baseball moving forward yeah so there's going to be a lot of changes uh between now and the start of next season some of them have already happened, but the majority of them are yet to come, and we're going to probably find those out in the next two months or so. So basically, they're overhauling everything. That's the simple way to put it. The Going into 2020, the two sides had been negotiating some sort of streamlined minor league system. So there had been approximately 160 minor league teams, not including complex teams, um, around the country, and MLB wanted – they came in, and, and every 10 years they renegotiate the, the contract – and that was coming up at the end of 2020. Um, and Major League Baseball wanted to streamline it because – and the re- honestly, the underlying reason for that is with the technology the way it is nowadays with TrackMan and everything else, it's a lot easier for them to evaluate. There's – every college program has a TrackMan. Um, they don't need the scouts to go as far and wide as they used to. Um, and they're more accurate in their decision-making. So they don't need 250 players in the minors. The Major League teams would rather have 150 players in the minor league system – feed them better, pay them better, take care of them so that they develop and become major leaguers. Because you've only got 25 roster spots. Why do you need 250 minor league players? So that's the motivation for the change. Um, And so going into 2020, there was a lot of backroom dealing between all the lawyers and there was going to be like a a compromise forged. 
But then COVID hit and everything changed and pretty much every minor league front office went bankrupt. Um, so now major league baseball has them right where they want them in a very vulnerable spot. And so a couple months ago, right around this, basically over the summer, um, these teams were essentially filing for bankruptcy and all of minor league baseball just got ripped to shreds. Uh, the, the offices here in St. Pete were cleared out and now major league baseball has full control. And of course they have, they have a heart, they have a soul. They're talking to a lot of people. They're trying to make it, make it make sense. Make it um, the, the bottom line is they want better working conditions for the players, which is a, a great motivation for any change. Um, the problem is, 40 to 55 of the affiliated minor league teams are going to get eliminated. Um, they might end up getting an independent ball team or a college summer team, but they're no longer going to be affiliated with a major league club. Um, there will be some really well-run independent league teams that do get to benefit from this. One of them being the Somerset Patriots who are now going to be the double a team for the Yankees. Um, but basically right now here this fall, major league baseball is running the gamut, talking to every minor league front office. Um, they're measuring the stadiums. They're testing the lights to see how powerful they are. And they're basically trying to do, create brand new leagues that make more geographic sense in terms of minor league travel because we are on buses in every league. So they're trying to limit bus time and make everything more efficient. So because of that, they're gonna, there's going to be a ton of changes uh, over the next few months. And a lot of – I mean, if I'm being honest, I would say 75 to 80% of minor league employees are unemployed right now, if not higher. Um, basically every team laid off their entire staff um, from when the virus started until now. So it's been a complete overhaul and it's just going to continue. We can only hope that in 2021, um, the majority of those people are hired back and minor league baseball is more efficient um, and more with the times than it's, it's ever been before. So if COVID doesn't hit, would what has now been transpiring, would that have happened in as much, I mean, uh, what do you think would have happened instead um, if COVID didn't happen when it happened? Yeah, there would have been changes either way. So let's make sure we get that out there. There were mm -hmm. definitely going to be teams getting eliminated either way. But basically what happens now with COVID is that MLB has full control. Minor league, is, mm -hmm. minor league baseball is essentially the entity, the office of minor league baseball no longer exists. So the M MLB has all of the minor league front offices at their mercy. Now, you do have to keep in mind some of the minor league teams are owned by the major league teams. I would say maybe 20 to 30 percent are, are owned by the big league club. Uh, but right now, major league baseball can basically juggle it however they want, which in the end might end up being a, a really nice thing. It's going to be um, a, a system that makes a lot of sense. And like we said, better conditions for the players. Um, but right now, the minor league front offices are just on the hot seat in complete um, – desperation mode just waiting to find out what's going to happen to their fate mm -hmm. now uh gibby so uh for you um in the area not only going to raise games what's your experience with minor league baseball like um where do you usually go for games and um i guess how much has it been a part for you uh just in in terms of this entire situation since it's um becoming so prevalent now as teams start to uh release what what minor league affiliates are being eliminated and which ones are staying. Yeah. Uh, minor league baseball is definitely big in Florida. I mean, you can't throw a stone without hitting a minor league baseball stadium. Um, typically my minor league experiences have been at the Phillies um, affiliate in Clearwater. Oh, thank God. I thought um, you were going to say the Tarpons and I was going to be like, Nope, I wasn't about that. <laughs> I have been there before, but not, but not 
not very many times. Um, okay. That's the one. That's that's the Yankee Stadium right next to uh, Ray J. Yeah. Talking about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I love major major league baseball. So I'm. I mean, this is better than them going away completely, which could have been something that 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 can happen. I mean, but uh, I just hope that it can that that makes a huge comeback and all these people who who have now been unemployed which he said that it might be around 80 percent um hopefully a lot of them can get their jobs back in the future mm. and major league and minor league base, baseball can go up from here i guess yeah. uh john quick aside uh how uh what's your opinion because i can't call it the current name what's your opinion of right house field i think it's great uh i've obviously done the whole florida state league tour three three times over now uh, I mean, it's the best. It's the best atmosphere in the Florida State League, hands down. The uh, the stadium's great. I mean, we we're spoiled because in this in the Florida State League, we've had pretty much entirely spring training fields, and then the ones that aren't, you know, Jackie Robinson Park in Daytona is historic. So it's a great league to be in in terms of stadiums. Uh, mm-hmm. But I I love Bright House Field. The one that I think is underrated is Bradenton, uh, where the where the Pirates play Lee. Conner. I haven't been there yet. I want to go there so badly. Yeah, that one, that one, it makes you feel like you're back in time like 100 years. And I, I just love everything about it. There's, it. For me, there's no air conditioning in the press box, so I lose about five <laughs> pounds every time I go there, but I still love it. Yeah, no, I mean, so growing up in a family of Phillies fans, the place that we would go is Clearwater. Uh, most times for spring training, then obviously as I became a race fan, Port Charlotte, we went down there more. But I just have such a I, – I love I, – I guess I'll call it Spectrum Field, but like I love that place so much. Like, like so many great memories there. It's just, man, I, I want to go back there real soon. I love that place. Yeah, they did a great job. I grew great up place. going there too. My, I have uh, a lot of family in Clearwater, so I was going to games there when I was in middle school and high school. So it was, it's, it's got a special place in my heart too, for sure. Yeah, it's so nice. <laughs> um, so with that, uh, let's talk more about the Rays minor league stuff. So obviously, I think um, recently, uh, Baseball America just released their top 10 prospects for the Rays. Uh, I mean, it's no surprise that Wander Franco is the number one prospect for the Rays and still the number one prospect in Major League Baseball because he's amazing. Uh, but uh, from what you've seen, John, uh, in Port Charlotte, because I'm sure that you've seen a bunch of these guys, and I know Wander just came through. I think it was – I think he started playing there last year, right? Or and Yeah, 2019, right? Yes. Yeah. So um, what's your opinion about the guys that have come through and um, what have you seen? Are there guys that, that aren't on that list that, um, that you think Rays fans should watch out for more? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can give you a list of 25 guys I think race fans should look out for, um, <laughs> most of whom are not on that list. But, I mean, Wander's the real deal. I saw him for 60 to 70 games last year. Um, so when you that, – that's, that's my favorite part of the job is getting to watch guys over extended times because we play 140 games a year. So you really get to see what they're made of, what they're made of mentally, how they come out, you know, on a certain day. There, there's some days where there's 30 fans in the, in the stands. So you have to, and it's and it's a hundred degrees outside. So you got to bring it every day. And Wander did that. Um, I got a chance to have uh, Glaber Torres on my team in 2016 with the Cubs, and they were almost the same age. Wander's actually a year younger, mm-hmm. uh, and they're just they were they're so similar in a lot of ways. But Wander's better, hands down. Um, it's not it's not even really close. At least when they were teenagers, you know, Glaber obviously developed into a great player, and I always thought he would be a major league shortstop. 
But, I mean, Wander's on another level in terms of bat-to-ball skills. Uh, the guy almost never strikes out. He goes to all fields. It's, it's big time. But, I mean, I can go down the list beyond him as well. Whatever you guys want to hear about. I mean, I've seen, I've seen the majority of the system over the last four years. So, um, now in terms of the guys who are about to break in, I've seen almost all of them. Well, so what guy? I guess through the rest of that, through the rest of that list, what guys have really impressed you? And then, if there's a few names that aren't on that list that you think that people should watch out for that you've seen that have been um, very impressive in Port Charlotte, please go through and and say as many names as you want because I'm really interested to hear. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, your, first your of all, I think Baseball America does a really good job. So their top ten is solid. It's there's no weak link in that group. The Rays obviously have the best system in baseball right now, and it's not also not really that debatable. But so there's no there's no weaknesses in that top ten. Um, the one guy that I don't think gets enough publicity, I think some people know about him, others don't, is Vidal Brujan. Um, I think he has a chance to be a very unique, exciting player. He's got plus speed, unbelievable speed. I mean, he, in, a, in, a, in, an, in the olden days, he would steal over 50 bases a year. Now it might not be that high because they don't really steal anymore, but um, he has next level speed. He's a fiery little player. He's about five foot eight. He's really small, but he packs a punch. He doesn't quite have the power that most guys do uh, in today's day and age, but he might hit five home runs, uh, maybe 10 in a good year, but he's a switch hitter. He's electrifying on the base paths. I mean, he will make pitchers balk. He'll make all he'll he'll put a lot of pressure on the defense. And the way he plays the game, it, it's fun to watch. So if him and Wander ever get to play together, I mean, you're looking at a couple of underside, you know, sub six footers who are both switch hitters, who both can run the bases extremely, extremely well, um, and will just spray base hits to all fields. They're really, really close as well. They're they're really good friends. They met back in the Dominican when they were like 13 years old. So they go really far back. I think Alex, I was going to, I mentioned this to you last week when we spoke, yeah. one of the craziest stories I've ever had from the minor leagues. Um, Wander got called up last year, uh, right in the middle of the season. And they Wander and Bruhan got a chance to play two games together. One game uh, Wander DH. So they only played in the field together for one, one game. And uh, Bruhan got called up to double a Montgomery after that second game they had played together. And I mean, he was on the verge of tears, like sad tears, because he loved Franco that much that he didn't want to leave our team because they didn't really get a chance to play together. So I've never seen a player sad that he had been promoted. Usually they're just glowing from ear to ear. They can't wait to jump on the, the plane to get to double A. Um, but Bruhan was legitimately sad that he was getting promoted because he loved playing with Franco that much. So if they ever get to the big leagues, I mean, that's going to be a duo that you have to watch every night. Um, they're also going to ruffle some feathers. They both don't really care about what the other team thinks. Um, they're the kind of players that will trash talk and will get underneath the Yankee skin. Um, and it's going to be awesome to watch when they finally do get there. I just hope that it's, they both get there with the Rays and, and, and Bruhan doesn't get traded or, um, you know, picked up by another team. Mm -hmm. What about guys outside of that top 10 list that, that you have seen that you think people would really like, or, or, or that could be come, those next guys that are in that top 10 moving forward? I'm not sure if they're in the top 10, but kind of that next tier down would be Josh Lowe. Um, I think he's a big league center fielder, an incredible athlete, looks like an NFL wide receiver. I think you'll see him with the Rays at some point in 2021, at the least as like a September call-up pinch runner type, because he also can, can run like crazy. 
Um, I think he has a chance to be an impact player. Um, Joe Ryan, I think, is number 10. He's my all-time favorite in the minor leagues. Just an incredible story. He's a former water polo player. Um, just fills up the strike zone with fastballs that guys just swing under every single time. So I think he can be a big league starter for a long time. Um, and then the other one who does get some publicity, who's probably going to get added to the 40-man, is Taylor Walls. Um, I think a lot of scouts see him as a major league starting shortstop. Um, so like Jake Cronenworth, it'll probably come with a different team because they have Wander Franco and Willie Adamas on hand, and I think those guys are here to stay. Um, so Taylor Walls is a guy who's probably going to start at shortstop in the big leagues. Just a really good all-around player and another switch hitter. Um, and then if you go beyond that, I mean, I can give you 20 more names. But just to give a couple more um, names that I really personally believe in, um, the pitching side is where a lot of um, the up-and-comers, the under-the-radar guys are mostly on the pitching side. Um, a couple names that I really like was Paul Campbell is a guy who I think can be a big league starter. Um, four really, really good pitches, um, big league caliber pitches. So if he can continue to improve his command, which he has done in the minor leagues, I think he can be a sneaky, a sneaky guy. Um, one player they traded away who I thought who had a chance to be a uh, top of the rotation type of guy. If everything broke right is Riley O'Brien, who's now at the Reds. They gave him away in the Cody Reed deal, which I thought was a, an under the radar trade that might really come back to bite the Rays Cause I think Riley O'Brien can be a stud. Um, he's already up to 97, 98 and scouts think he can break a hundred. Um, but there's some other pitchers. Um, that I really like. A couple guys that I've gotten away from the organization. I've always liked Josh Fleming. I always had him as a sleeper. Um, I, and then another lefty, Michael Plasmeyer, I think has a chance. It's plus pitchability for him. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I mean, I'm looking at some of the offensive stats. Uh, Jim Haley is a sleeper. I think he has a chance to play in the majors as like a Mike Brasso utility type, you know, a right-handed bat that can play seven positions on the field. Um, so that's another cool name to keep an eye on. Um, who else? I mean, there's a lot of guys that I think have a chance. I'm not fully convinced they'll make it, but I think they have a chance. I'm looking at some of the pitching numbers because, um, I mean, last year we had McClanahan. Tommy Romero is a good name. He won Florida State League Pitcher of the Year. Plasmeyer, Stephen Woods, who's with the Royals now. Joe Ryan. Tobias Myers has a chance to be a big leaguer, without a doubt. Paul Campbell. I mean, we were so – overwhelmingly lucky with the rotation we had in Port Charlotte last year from start to finish. I mean, it was just ridiculous, the type of pitching we had, um, which is why we won the, the second half championship in the league. So, I mean, I can go on and on, but those are definitely some names to, to remember. Mm. Uh, I, I guess going back to, because I mean, I mean, the big name is, is Wander here. Uh, Gibby, do you think, or when do you think he's going to come up if he comes up anytime soon in terms of, um, just to the majors, and uh, what do you think is going to happen with Adamas if they bring up um, Wander? Yeah, that's what I'm really worried about. You know, I think a lot of a lot of teams like to just pick because the Rays have by far the best farming system. Um, a lot of teams just like to pick from the Rays. You know, it's like we'll we'll bring this guy because you know Rays see something in him. <laughs> There's something more to that. So you know they do, they'll kind of. I'm just kind of worried maybe Wander gets traded or something, but I think feel like he's a really high commodity in, in to the race organization. So whatever that trade value is, is immensely high for them, I believe. Um, and then like what happens with Willie Adamas? Like we don't know, you know, so I'm, I'm definitely excited for, I definitely want to see Wander Franco and Bruhan after what 
um, John just said to us. Um, I think that's that would be an amazing combo. Um, you just you just don't know what's going to happen to the guys that are there now. You know, Willie Dom's pretty good. Do we do we upgrade? Is is it an upgrade? Do we get rid of Willie? Willie's really good. We all know that. We, I I don't even want to say anything. It, it hurts my feelings a little bit. You know, it's it's a tough call. It's something the Rays have probably been thinking about for a couple of years now because they've known this was coming. Um, I definitely think Wander plays in the big leagues next year. I think we see him by June, um, if it's a normal season. I think that Adamus probably profiles better at third, and Wander probably profiles better at second. But they probably could play all three spots if they really wanted to. Um, my guess is they start Wander at second and keep Adamus at short at least for 2021, and then kind of reevaluate for 2022. Um, but it's a win-win. I mean, you gotta you gotta love having both those guys in your lineup, just from what they can do defensively and obviously with the bat. So it's a great problem to have. Um, there's really it's funny because we talk about the Rays bats not being they're not the best lineup in the division by any means. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they have enough bodies where they kind of have too many players. So who who's the odd man out? Is it is it Wendell? Is it Yandy Diaz? Um, is, is it Choi? I mean, obviously it's not going to be Lau. Maybe Lau moves to the outfield if Wander plays second. Um, so they have a lot of things to figure out. Now, injuries happen, so that could solve the problem in the short term um, if you have a major injury with somebody on the infield. Um, but those are the types of questions the Rays are asking themselves right now. Now, I will say they don't have to add Wander to the 40-man this season so or this offseason. So they, they probably will not call him up until – probably June or July would be my guess. Um, he'll probably start in triple a, but it's, it's a, it's an interesting question to ponder because it's not just, it's not just wander. It's Bruhan and Taylor walls too. I mean, these guys are already, and they're not, there's nowhere to put them. I got, I got, I got really scared. Cause I was like, Oh, you said he's going to go to second. And I'm like, no, I want Brandon there. And then I, and then I realized there's a DH. So I was like, Oh, breathe a sigh of relief because I don't want to see Brandon not on the Rays for as long as they have him on a contract. Well, just because he's he his there's so much cost certainty with Lau, he's not going anywhere. Um, Thank God. I've heard some people mention a potential <laughs> Adamus trade, but I mean, which kind of would make sense because it solves that problem with with Wander. But um, Lau and Adamus, I think, are kind of the linchpins of the lineup, so I don't think they go anywhere. But they're going to have to move somebody. Whether it's I could see it being Sutsugo or Nate Lowe. Um, maybe an outfielder, maybe like a, maybe a Yandy Diaz, who knows, but if they're, they're going to have to make room for Wander at some point. Yeah, that's true. That's a hundred percent true. Well, uh, before we end this, uh, John, I wanted to quickly get your opinions about what you think is going to happen next year. Um, and I know it's obviously some months away, but what are your expectations, uh, for the race come 2021? I think they're going to be really good again. I think there's absolutely no doubt they'll have a winning record. I think the division's going to be better, which is going to be a bit of a problem. Um, I think the Blue Jays will be a legitimate contender. So between the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, you've got three 90-win teams, um, assuming they stay healthy. So I still like the Rays to probably be a playoff team, but because of that competition, it's definitely not a lock. Um, I think the Red Sox will get a little bit better, although I don't think they'll make the playoffs. Um, and I think the Orioles are, are definitely improving as well. So that's going to end up being one of the toughest divisions in baseball. Um, I do think they're going to keep the postseason at 12 or 14 teams, which means the Rays are pretty much a lock to at least make it. Uh, but I'd, I'd be surprised if they were the one seed again. 
Mm. All right. Uh, and uh, Gibby, just one last thing. Um, so I know uh, Randy didn't win rookie of the year, which I'm sure you're very sad about, <laughs> but he is going to be a rookie next year. So if you're going to put odds on Randy winning, what's the odds? Um, I've, I, I don't really know how odds work. Well, like, uh, well, well, how, well, how likely, like, 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 how likely uh, of a candidate for rookie of the year do you think he's going to be? <laughs> uh, I think he's got like a twenty percent chance, maybe. Okay, okay, twenty percent higher than twenty percent is decently most, high. Yeah, that's, de- <laughs> that's that's decently high. Yeah, John, John, what are your opinions about that? I'll go thirty. Why not? Okay, he's the guy right now. He's the he guy. is. He is the guy. Uh, I, it, it'll be. I mean, he's. Oh God, Randy's so good. I need to get. I'm gonna to try to get his rookie card and tops update if there's a possibility because I know he's he started out with the he has the uh, the Cardinals card right now, but he has his Rays update card right um, in the current set. So that's like that's like the hot commodity among because it, it, it was Robert and it was Bichette and May and, or May and Lux and all those, but now it's Randy. So I'm I'm so hyped. <laughs> he's exciting. I'm I'm excited. It's gonna be a good year. You just gotta hope the. Uh... The virus stays away so we can have a normal spring training down here in Florida. Yeah. Well, uh, before we leave um, or, or before we conclude this, John, where can people find uh, you on social media or find you anywhere, um, uh, links to your work or, or just like what you're doing um, kind of in the offseason? Yeah, you can go on uh, Twitter at John Vitas 3 V-I-T-T-A-S is how you spell it. Um, if you want to watch the Kansas Gonzaga College Hoops game in a couple weeks, I'll be doing the PA so flip on Fox and you'll hear my voice in the background. So that'll Ooh. be fun. Uh, and then other than that, um, ESPN Plus, watch some FGCU men's and women's basketball this, uh, this offseason. I'll be doing the play-by-play there. And then hopefully you'll, uh, you'll see me doing some pro ball once again in uh, 2021. All right. Well, I'm sure that, well, I mean, I love Dunk City. So, I mean, I got to You got to rep Dunk City as much as possible. I'm sure that's a fun gig um, covering, covering those games. I know it's not the same team as it was when they went to the Sweet 16, but I'm sure it's still a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They're still, it's still an exciting watch for sure. They, uh, they've always, they still get those high flyers. So they are, they are fun to call. And I love college basketball. It's my second favorite sport. So I think I got my schedule today, actually. I think I'm back to my normal 16 ESPN games. So It'll be like a twice a week thing for a couple months. It'll be good. Yeah, well, that'll be good. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, everyone, uh, for listening. Um, again, you can find us. Uh, we're on Twitter, at Roof Rays. You can listen to us. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, all that stuff. Um, or if you follow the Rays subreddit, uh, I usually post episodes on there all the time. So, John, again, thanks for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate it. We really appreciate you talking about the Rays. Um, any parting words before we end this? Just thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good luck with the podcast. I'm always here to help. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much again. And to everyone listening, stay safe, stay healthy. Please wear a mask and raise up. Raise up.